an honorable profession is brought to you by opencounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments to deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across this nation. Check out opencounter.com to see what they can do for your community. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that identifies rising stars in the Democratic Party at the state and local level. I've been fortunate enough to be a New Dealer for years, first when I was mayor of Santa Cruz, and now as chair of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. We've been doing this podcast for a year now, and I encourage you to check out some of our previous episodes with great leaders like Mayor Pete, Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford, and candidate for U.S. Senate in Texas, Amanda Edwards. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. Twenty twenty is going to be a huge political year, but it would be a big mistake to only focus on the battle for the presidency and the Senate. Democracy is still won and lost at the community level. Today I talk with three new mayors who should give you a lot of hope for the future. We have Lincoln, Nebraska Mayor Learing Gaylor Baird, Montgomery, Alabama Mayor Stephen Reed, and Wichita Mayor Brandon Whipple. You may remember previous episodes with both Lyrian and Stephen. If you haven't listened, I encourage you to go back and hear their incredible stories. These were three people that I spent much of 2019 cheering on, so it's exciting to have them in one place. Lyrian, Stephen, and Brandon, welcome to An Honorable Profession. This is an opportunity for us to hear from three new mayors. I don't know about all you, but I've been checking random county clerk sites to see the results of all their elections uh, over the course of a year. And uh, we want to give them a big round of applause for their elections. We have Wichita, Kansas, uh, Mayor-elect Brandon Whipple. We have Lincoln, Nebraska, current mayor, Leary and Gaylor Baird. And uh, we have Montgomery, Alabama, Mayor Stephen Reed. Thank you all for joining us. So uh, I want to start because each of you has a unique path into this role, and I want to talk first about your path, and then we'll talk about what you're going to do when you get there. So, Brandon? Well, first, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I've been a New Deal uh, leader for, I think, since 2013. Uh, This conference is one of the conferences I get the most out of, Uh, really being able to network with um, some of the best minds in our country when it comes to local and state politics uh, and policy has been a a blessing for me. So thank you. Uh, It's it's a lot for me to actually be on the stage uh, and giving my experience as well. Um, I'm really probably the least likely person, if you were to ask a year ago, who was going to be the next mayor of Wichita, which is the 48th largest uh, city in our country. Uh, that anyone would guess. Um, Really, I had no plans to run for mayor. Uh, I got a call for the Democrats and I kind of laughed it off. And then I got a, and and really their pitch was, um, we asked everyone else and everyone else said no. And it, and I'll tell you, uh, I felt- It's always a good pitch. Right, 
and I felt like um, like there's probably some old guard Democrat who's worked his way into this position, who's been around forever, and I need to uh, uh, let that person go forward. And it made me realize my age, because uh, it turned out I was that person. I was the old Democrat who turn it was um, to, to put my name in the, in the hat. Uh, but I kind of ignored it in, until I got calls from Republicans, uh, who also had a, a very similar uh, uh, perspective, not so much as you know, uh, no one else would do it, but as uh, we need new, a, a new vision, a new idea. Um, so I got into in the race after considering it with my wife after that. Um, and we ran up against uh, two, uh, an incumbent and an establishment um, Republican who was supported by pretty much the, the money in the city. Uh, and we made it through um, with about 400 votes in a nine-way primary. Uh, and we were out of money. Uh, we were moving forward. Um, we were having a hard time uh, uh, getting the, um, some of the main players uh, who I thought, who I've worked with as a state legislator, getting them back on board. Um, and really, uh, we had to take a completely different strategy. Uh, we knew we couldn't beat them, and this sounds nerdy, I follow uh, um, uh, kind of uh, Tudor history and War of the Roses history, uh, and my team follows um, Game of Thrones, so we use a lot of these analogies. We're like, we couldn't meet them in the field, uh, on television and on mail, um, because we didn't have the same resources. Uh, so we really use, my team's called uh, Ad Astra, and they are um, uh, somewhat of a, uh, an outsider group with the Kansas Democratic Party. Uh, they had a chip on their shoulder, and then of course me, being someone who I didn't think would make it this far, um, had a chip on my shoulder when it came to having a good showing. And we really uh, use social media uh, to an extent that's never been used in Kansas uh, in a very smart way that I hope to get into more details with, but I don't want to monopolize the time. Um, but it's, uh, uh, that was really the, um, the key, was to mimic the interaction that we have at the door uh, with people utilizing social media. Uh, so not only w would we uh, do targeting, and my manager, uh, her name's Casey, her whole, whole, whole uh, 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 advice to me was be normal. Be the normal candidate. Uh, when I would show up to a parade in uh, slacks and a button-up shirt at over 100 degrees, and I'm doing it because I look young, uh, she would say, like, this isn't what normal people do. Um, and you know, so we would utilize social media. We would want to be show up to uh, events, be normal. Uh, and the last thing I'll leave you with before I pass it along is the um, we had a saying called "Win the Day," uh, where instead of taking, looking at the campaign, um, looking at fundraising, looking at all the events, uh, if we looked at it longer than what we had to do today, it seemed like too much. Uh, so um, at the end of the day, we said, "Do we win today?" Uh, and sometimes with the earned media uh, or with the uh, different variables that happens when in campaignings, you know, we, well, we didn't really win today, but I don't know if we, caught, if we got, took much damage, or yeah, we definitely won today, or I'm pretty sure my opponent knows he didn't win today. Uh, so that was uh, what kept us going, was just trying to win that day, uh, get through the day, and get on to um, you know, the next day. They're in? The Game of Thrones reference made me want to just say that for those of you who have trouble pronouncing my name, it rhymes with Tyrion. And uh, I, I grew up the daughter of two public school teachers. And so as a child who saw uh, grown adults come up to my parents and thank them for the difference they made in their lives when they were students, I, I really wanted a career that had meaning, that really tried to make people's lives better. And 
for the earlier part of my career, it was more focused on education and trying to um, level the playing field by serving in communities that didn't have good public school systems. When I became a parent myself and moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, I didn't envision a future in politics, but I started getting involved in my community. This was the place where I was raising my children, and uh, I started as a community volunteer, and I ended up being asked to serve on the planning commission. And I think that this idea that we reach out and empower our residents to get involved is a really powerful one, because that was really my, my pathway forward. Being on the planning commission and learning about how you grow a city in a smart and sustainable way uh, led to being encouraged to run for city council. And uh, after that, uh, I, I saw how few women were involved in these decisions at the local level, or at any level really, in, in politics, and wanting to make sure that uh, my kids and your kids, they see women behind the microphone in these political settings was a really big motivator for me to take those steps and step into an arena where I didn't necessarily feel comfortable. Um, it was not, like I said, something that I had thought that I would do. But, but the power of encouragement uh, is also, you know, this idea that you carry as you climb. Uh, a previous mayor had said to me, you know, you, this is something you should really think about doing. Those kinds of comments actually matter a lot to those of us who, who maybe hadn't thought about this role for ourselves. And I'm very pleased now that I see a lot of little girls in the community and their moms bring them up to meet me and I know that they're looking at me not, not as me, Lirian Gaylor Baird, but as me, a, a sense of possibility, a sense of what women are capable of achieving. And so um, while I care very much about the quality of life in my community and what we can do as a mayor, it's also what we can do and what we can inspire in others as a sense of possibility that makes me really excited about my new role. Stephen? Good morning. You know, one of the things, I, I guess, for, for me, uh, getting into the, the mayor's race was uh, really a sense of not seeing the progress that I wanted to see in my city. Um, I'm a child of people who've been in public service for decades, since the 60s and, and the city movements in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, so when you grow up, you know, kind of a politician's kid or you grow up a preacher's kid, it's much the same. You know, you either want to go into the family business or you want to get as far away from it as you, as you can. So I was on the spectrum of wanting to get as far away from it, which is why I went to college out of state, lived out of state, uh, never planned to come back. Uh, went into a totally different field, uh, only to find out my plans wasn't God's plan. And so I, under, you know, I finally had to listen to that as I, as I came back because after uh, maybe 10 years of being back in my hometown, I just didn't see... Uh, the type of progress and the type of political courage that I thought was necessary uh, to really benefit and impact people all across um, our community. And after trying to um, fund campaigns, strategize on campaigns for everything from school board to other uh, mayor's offices, uh, other mayoral elections, um, I was trying to get people to run. And so, you know, a friend of mine just kind of said, well, Stephen, you know, if you think it's so important uh, that good people run, why don't you do it? And so, you know, I just kind of flippantly said, well, you know, Doesn't I just sound might. like a good friend. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a good friend. Right. So I was like, I just might. And, um, you know, at the time I, I didn't have any plans on running. And what I saw was just kind of decision after decision being punted. Um, and this wasn't partisan. Uh, it wasn't racial. It wasn't even generational. It was just consistently down the board, uh, down the line, people not wanting to make decisions, whether that was regarding our public schools, whether it was regarding our justice system. Uh, or just basic uh, things that, you know, were just mundane um, tasks that they just wouldn't do. 
And so out of that frustration, I decided to run in 2012 for probate judge. Um, and I served there um, until running for mayor this year. And I, and I would have served, uh, continued to serve there, but for the fact I didn't like the names I was hearing from people who were running for mayor. Most of them were opportunists. Most of them wanted a, a title. Very little of them had any, any sense of service in the community itself. Um, and I didn't think they really were in it for the people. And what I decided was after kind of hearing some names was, I said, well, one, I can beat all of them like a drum. That's number one. Number two, I don't think they bring any, you know, moral or political values to the table that are gonna advance us where we need to go. And three, you know, I think that we can do a lot better than just accepting another status quo leader. And that's what we had had, was just kind of keep things comfortable um, and keep the same people in the positions and keep the machine going uh, the way it had been going. And that just wasn't uh, enough for me, seeing what, what was happening in so many other cities, uh, many of them, uh, those of you who are in this room are leading. And I was like, I know we can do better. Um, you know, and I was really like, I know we can do better than these clowns who are up here, you know, and, and, and you know, likely would win, you know, but for the, um, a strong candidate with some ideas and with an aspirational message um, for our community, because that, that's what had been happening. And so that was also stagnating our progress, in my opinion. And so um, I put my name in the hat, and we had a great message, I think, of opportunity and unifying the, the city itself. Um, the message of, of live, learn, and earn was something that uh, I kind of picked up at a Third Way conference um, that I was invited to uh, a couple of years ago. And it really talked about some of the centrist narratives and ideas um, that were reaching people. And I think that was something that really helped propel our campaign. We had a very strong uh, social media presence. Um, that was kind of more the, the whipped cream and cherry on top for me. I come out of a mindset of, of canvassing and going door to door because that's pretty much how I grew up. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, we were probably knocking on doors before we could, you know, barely ride a bike. So we just kind of were doing that um, and, and I believed in that, but we mixed in a lot of data. Uh, we used a lot of that, and we were very uh, intentional and deliberate about the type of campaign we wanted to have from all of our visuals, our web presence, our social media, but also everything from our signs to our messaging. Everything was intentional. I did not want to run what I would call a mayor's race. Um, I was not going to accept what some people gave, would give to a mayoral race when I knew that they could contribute more. So take for instance, there was one firm, I knew what they had given the previous mayor, they gave me, uh, their initial uh, donation was 10% of what they had given the, the last mayor. Now, they didn't think I knew that. So I, I kind of went back to them and I said, well listen, you know, I know you, you all typically give X, Y, and Z, but in these races, you give a little bit more. But for some reason, I didn't hit that spectrum. And so part of that was making sure that we had the resources because what, what's not talked about is that black candidates oftentimes have a harder chance and have a harder time raising money. And that's because many of the circles uh, that we're in don't, well, let me just speak for myself. Friends of mine who have run uh, have not, whether they're in Maryland, whether they've been in Georgia, Alabama, Texas, have not been able to reach out to those same donor networks uh, that other candidates can run from. And I was very straightforward about what we were gonna do and how we were gonna do it. And so we were able to go nationally, we were able to go outside and then come back in to raise the money that we raised. And we raised about $770,000 uh, 
uh, in this mayor's race, which was just off of uh, our previous mayor who had raised about 800, 850. So it was something that I knew was gonna cost a lot of money to generate the amount of turnout that we needed to touch voters five to seven times and to really make sure that we got our message out about why the race was important. But we had to send a message early on that the machine and the status quo was not gonna cut off the money and limit us. So we outworked them and then we were able to use a, a national network of friends and uh, what I call a, a underground black political network um, I call it the Underground Railroad. So, you know, we went to New Orleans, we went to Atlanta, we went to D.C., we went to Harlem, we went to Birmingham, all these places, and we were able to bring in a lot of money from outside very quickly. And, and that was one thing that kind of vaulted us in our campaign to the top. And so, out of 12 candidates, we, we finished first with 42%, 10 of them were African-American. Um, we finished with 42% in the uh, primary, and then we won with, with about two-thirds of the votes in the runoff. So, all of those things were important, and I bring those data points up because I think there are things that influence and impact elections. They impact your candidate recruitment, and it impacts the type of people that we get involved in the process. Because what the money people thought in Montgomery was, we're not going to get behind Stephen Reed. We're not going to do that because his politics and his uh, leadership and approach is going to be different than what we've expected. And it is. And it, it's something that should have been done a long time ago. When you think about Montgomery just electing the first black mayor in 200 years, that's insane. But it's not insane if you understand the mindset and the systems behind that. And so for us, it was very important that we send a message in every step along the way of this campaign. And I think now that message uh, has been heard and, and we've been having a um, good couple of weeks now that we've been in office. So I can talk a little bit more about it as we go through this. Larry? I wanted to just add to that idea of encouragement and point out that a big reason I ended up being a mayor is because of the New Deal. I came to this conference maybe for the first time in 2014 and I met Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, one of the first female mayors I'd ever met. And I haven't seen her since, but she made an impression on me. And I've been here and seen the kind of work that these leaders do and realize that it is worth putting yourself out there. It's hard to become a candidate. It's hard to take the next step and be vulnerable and worry about your safety and think about what it means for everyone you care about to have you be a public figure. But the work that Tobias Reed has done as a state treasurer and as a state rep on infrastructure and regional planning and what I've seen Moreau do for his waterfront in Burlington and this resilient zoning that you're taking on the courageous work you're doing, Andrea, uh, the, it matters. And what uh, Scott Holcomb has done uh, for survivors of domestic assault, I, I feel so inspired by the people in this room. And I've had people here uh, lift up my sense of what's possible for my community and for me as a, as a public servant. And I don't really think I'd be sitting in this chair without the leaders I've met through the New Deal. Good job, y'all. And let me just Brandon. briefly add to that. Um, when we were running for mayor, uh, we didn't get, I think, the type of support that uh, some other candidates might have gotten. Um, and it was really this group that helps with that 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 mental battle you might have when you think you're going above and beyond where other people think you should be, uh, really getting contributions, uh, uh, emails, um, uh, just support uh, from this group. I, when something was uh, happening with our campaign, uh, I was able to call 
Debbie and asked for, for advice on people to talk to about, um, you know, for different states or have gone through something similar. This group, as a support group, that is huge because there were times in my campaign where we thought, hey, we're in over our head. Uh, and then being able to get the support of people who have done what we were trying to do uh, really meant a lot. Uh, so I, I also just want to uh, add to that to not undervalue the type of organization this is where I think uh, with us was a tremendous support network. Good job, y'all. So let's, I want to ask y'all uh, how it's going as you step into this role. Um, I was mayor of a smaller town and um, I know that the the learning curve is steep, and there's a different level of expectations. It's almost unique among any other job in the world when you're mayor of a city. Uh, so you have that happening, plus, uh, Stephen, you're now on national news talking about this your historic uh, election. So how do you add that in when you have the learning curve of the job, the learning curve of the public role, plus national attention uh, while you're trying to do it? I think that the uh, learning curve is probably one that we've all dealt with, uh, regardless of our positions. You know, you, you feel like you're uh, drinking from a fire hose, and, and it's a lot of information coming at you, it's a lot of moving parts. Um, what I try to do is to try to make sure I slow it down, and I uh, understand the fact that it doesn't have to all be done by 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock, um, but it's one that I can really digest and, and make sure we're assessing uh, what one is relevance, its impact, and its priority. And if we're doing those things, then uh, we're getting a little bit more, regardless if that's our public safety, if that's our infrastructure, uh, if that's our um, other par parks and recreation, any of those things uh, that are under the city. And so right now, uh, what we've been doing really since the election and, and during our, our transition has been just talking to some of the, the city uh, leaders and some, I'm sorry, some of the city department heads and some of the leaders in the uh, various departments about, hey, what, what's great here? What don't you like? You know, what can we do a little bit better? Getting some feedback along those lines. And I have a great team and a great support structure around me uh, that's skilled in state government, very experienced in, in local government, but also some people who have no experience with government. Just does it make sense? Um, for us to do it this way or, or not. And what I'm trying to do is kind of piece by piece understand uh, where some of the tripwires are, uh, where some of the uh, high points are, and, and make sure that, that we're dealing with that uh, in a way that, that is productive. And I heard someone say this a little earlier, so that we win the day. And so that after each day, much like the campaign, um, I know a lot more about the city than I did when I came in that day. One of the things that has been, I think, probably a little more interesting has been maybe some of the media uh, coverage of, of, of my race. Um, it, it's very unique, I guess, for me in trying to balance the, the tone that we uh, certainly want people to take away who are outside Montgomery uh, versus some of the change that we're trying to create in Montgomery. So it, it's, it's one of making sure that the message uh, is on point, but we're balancing that. I've turned down way more things than I've done. Uh, because I, I realize I can't be everywhere and still understand um, what's going on uh, in our engineering department. You know, how many roads are we going to be paving over these next 30 to 45 days um, and what contracts are, are being under review as well as, you know, going from a judgeship to the executive side, dealing with a city council. And the city council uh, is very much 
the same as it was under the previous administration. So, you know, balancing those relationships is important. And I think that the media side has been something that has been a plus for the city. And we tried to use it as that. It's been a plus for uh, our community as well. But also trying to, you know, set a new narrative for Montgomery and talk about why we won, which was that we bet more so on the future than we did the past. And that's why we ran um, as strong as we did. And with that, I think there's been a, a, a very level response to uh, our approach and the exposure that we've gotten because of the race, but also because of what the citizens voted for. And that was for you know, the type of change and the type of leadership that they believe we're capable of having, having in the city and making sure that we can produce uh, the results that they desire ultimately uh, in the short and long term. Larian, I remember like a month after I got elected, after a long day, my wife sent me to the grocery store, I run into Safeway, get some stuff, I'm running out, and I pop the cart up onto the curb in the parking lot, uh, and I, but I get home, and I'm checking my email before I go to bed, and there's, an email, uh, there's a message that says, I guess the mayor's too good to put his shopping cart back. Uh, and it was like, okay, now I, now I realize uh, that I'm going to have these kinds of eyes on me. So now every time I dutifully put the shopping cart back, <laughs> how is it being uh, in the public role? Uh, you, have, you have teenagers. Uh, how are they adjusting? What's, what's that like? My teenage son likes to tell his friends that the mayor makes him breakfast. I think that, he, that my kids are enjoying it to a certain extent, but largely are very focused on their own lives, as they should be. Um, it is, of course, it's so local. You're working and serving your neighbors and your friends and people who you're in community with on a regular basis. And um, that's part of what's so great um, about serving at the local level is because the difference you're making is felt by your own family and the families of all those people around you. Um, it is strange kind of losing some of the anonymity I enjoyed as a city council person. Um, but um, I'm, and there are, there are some security concerns as well. I don't have a detail. I'm not one of those people with someone with a badge and a microphone in his ear waiting outside the room. And we, we had an issue on the campaign um, with, with someone who was taking a kind of disproportionate interest in the campaign. Um, so I'm, I'm mindful, I'm a little more mindful of my safety now. Um, I let people, I let my husband know when I'm leaving the office and so that there's someone expecting me and knowing when I'm gonna be coming and going. And my staff's a little more attentive to that too. So, so there's that. Um, but it is nice to bump into people at the grocery store and have them be friendly and say hi. And I find that actually, people say this is a thankless job. People in Lincoln, Nebraska say thank you all the time. And I'm really grateful to them for their kindness. Brandon, uh, you're still mayor-elect, but since you know what's coming. So it's, um, it's a little strange. My, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Uh, the six-year-old is in kindergarten, and his class knows that AJ's dad is mayor, but he won't let me walk him into class because I embarrass him. Uh, so I guess he's got that age where um, you know, he, I have to give him hugs and kisses outside so the classroom. Do you embarrass him because you're mayor or just your existence? I think like being mayor, I thought I'm cool now, right? Can I come in and you know, give you a hug in front of all your friends? But of course, he's, uh, I can't. Uh, it is uh, a, a little strange to have people recognize you uh, a bit more. And being in, in a state legislature, when you're in a state legislature setting, you're used to that uh, to an extent. There's uh, at least that part where you know um, if you tweet something silly or if, you, if you're not courteous, uh, that might come back. Uh, that's more intensified as mayor. Um, also, uh, 
so when I ran for the state legislature, I gave my entire district my cell phone number. And then as mayor, we did that as well, uh, but we're in a city of over 300,000 people, uh, opposed to my, my legislative district, about 22,000 people. Uh, more people call me and text me. So I, you know, that's also interesting where I was in, asked by the media what I think about this one issue, and I said, well, we need more input from the public, uh, and then I get a, a voicemail. Uh, we're in the paper city, need more input, I don't like it. And so, uh, so I mean, it's gonna get some, uh, take some getting used to, I think. As far as the learning curve goes, uh, I get to walk into a very experienced uh, city council um, who are all of the opposite party except for one person, and I gotta say, I think this is an opportunity for me for a couple of reasons. Being in Topeka, Kansas, where it's a very partisan legislative environment, I kind of joke where I work with people who don't like me all the time. You know, because in the end, it's not about me and it's not about them, it's about pushing, uh, uh, pushing our state forward. And while I think that um, the city council, these are technically nonpartisan races, this race felt more partisan. And the reason why is because, well, I'm a Democrat, I'm younger, uh, my opponent was a Republican, uh, and he, he was older and had Republican ideals. And people use partisanship as almost a shortcut to try to figure out where you are in values. So I think partisanship came up uh, because we were two different candidates, and to try to figure out, me being somewhat of more of an unknown, uh, citywide, where I stood. Oh, he's the Democrat. Um, but walking into the city council, I think the bar's a little low, because I think they assume partisan politics is what you see on television, uh, which is, is quite toxic. Um, and really behind closed doors in the legislature, we get things done. So I'm actually looking forward to building those relationships. There will be a bit of a learning curve, but the learning curve of, as far as working with people, as far as leadership, um, that won't be as big of a learning curve, I think, as process. And that's because um, you know I'm coming from a legislative environment where you have to get 63 votes. And right now we gotta work to get four votes uh, to try to push together common sense policies. I wanna ask you that, because you all are blue dots and red states. There's a lot of expectations that mayors are gonna save, save the world, um, but you're not gonna get a lot of help from the federal government because they're not getting much done. You're not, probably not gonna get a lot of help from your state governments. How are you gonna balance the expectations of what you wanna get done with maybe institutional resistance or lack of resources that will come from, uh, from the higher levels of government? Stephen? For, for me, I think that uh, Building partnerships beyond um, Alabama is going to be very important. It's something that, that we sought to do uh, from day one of our campaign. I always understood that, um, you know, I understand the politics and the mindset that, that exists in our state house right now. And while we want to and plan to work with our uh, local delegation and our governor as much as we can, for us to fast forward the change and the progress that's needed in my city, uh, it's going to take corporations and organizations and foundations uh, who really want to make an impact and who really want to see that impact be made uh, in a very tangible way. And so I, I have thought from day one that we would have to be non-traditional in our approach, whether that's through um, different initiatives that we want to introduce um, or whether that's through uh, different alliances that I believe we have to uh, cultivate in order to maybe bring a little pressure, maybe bring a, a little motivation uh, to some people who otherwise would not do it, whether that's our, our state leaders or some of our local leaders. Um, I think for us it's going to be important to have kind of an outside-in um, strategy and mindset. And, and I've gotten a lot of that from being here at New Deal uh, and listening and learning uh, over the last few years to what 
uh, other leaders have done here and who they partner with on education, on uh, workforce development, uh, any of those things, even, again, criminal justice and economic development as well. I, I was just talking to uh, one of my advisors this morning, and we have our internal structure, which is archaic and outdated, and it's one reason why our government is not effective. And so a lot of people are, have been asking about applying for this job or that job as it stands right now on our books. But those jobs probably won't exist when we're through with our transition plan. If so, they will look a lot different because the jobs and the duties and responsibilities don't fit where the community is now, much less where we want it to be five or 10 years down the road. So while we're undergoing that, I, I expect resistance. I expect there to be uh, obstacles placed in the way because I just think that's how things are. Uh, if it's not locally, it'll be state. If it's not state, it'll be somewhere else. And for us, what I want to do is make sure that we have um, friends and allies outside of, of that traditional mechanism that will help us uh, try to move the ball forward a little bit. And that's my approach. If I'm surprised by what you know, support I get um, locally and statewide from some who may be in another party, may have a different philosophy, then great. My experience has told me whether it was Medicaid expansion, uh, whether it was anything else that made sense for our state to do, uh, our politicians didn't do it. It, it, didn't, it didn't matter because if it was through a partisan perspective, they weren't going to agree with that in our state house or in um, our, our uh, congressional delegation. And so those are things that are going to be very important for us. And I think because there's so much catching up that we have to do, um, I know it's going to take a, a multi-layered approach to get it done. Lorraine? It's a great question because what I witnessed while I was on city council and sitting through long public hearings and long open mic nights was that many people are starting to come to local officials asking for change that's actually only accomplished, or practically can be accomplished at the federal or state level, but they can't get through and they want local leaders to stand up for them and do something about things over which we have zero legislative or you know, executive authority. Um, so to build on your point, I would say um, the power of, of a mayor to convene and to bring together community stakeholders and to try to forge those uh, public-private partnerships is going to be key. We have philanthropic partners in our community foundations and business leaders who recognize that we are feeling this kind of pressure, and I think the more we are able to reach out and develop those relationships before we need them, you know, really to establish um, and communicate our values and, and listen to what other people want for the community, uh, it, it, to be a thoughtful, responsive leader in that sense is going to be really key to our ability to pull together resources to tackle some of our, our big challenges. And we're lucky because at the local government, you can actually go out and talk to most of the residents in your community and people will invest and um, they will make sacrifices because they, they, can, they can see results at the local level. Brandon? And, and I agree. I think the, a mayor's top asset is leadership. It's not authority, and we're uh, not in a strong mayor. Uh, we have the dual mayor and city manager uh, in Wichita. So my power is really uh, influence and, and collaboration more so than just kind of, you know, an executive order type style, um, which allows opportunities to collaborate, particularly in a city like Wichita. We have a, an incredible business community, uh, 
really uh, uh, great nonprofit community, uh, educational institutions. There's ways that we can collaborate to solve some of these problems that isn't just a kind of a top-down uh, policy approach. Um, it could be a bottom-up community approach. Uh, also, uh, I think it's very important, at least my position uh, in one of the assets I have, is uh, my communication with, with communities, is being out there. Uh, we were spent, outspent over two to one as far as uh, my general election, uh, but if you took all nine, well, take me out, so all the eight other um, candidates who ran for mayor and you add up all their donors, we had more donors, individual donors, than every one of those candidates added up with over 400 individual donors or unique donors. So that showed that we have wide community support. It just wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't just in, in the people who could cut the biggest checks. Uh, and also utilizing our social media, I, my goal is to communicate, to keep people in the loop on what's going on, uh, so there's no surprises when it comes to expectations. And some of our expectations that we put out there are our priorities. Some of them doesn't, don't cost much money. Uh, Wichita, we don't, we don't have an ethics commission. Uh, it is completely legal to give an elected official a $10,000 check because they're your buddy. And then, oh, they so happen to vote on something later down the line that could help you. Uh, so uh, setting up these parameters, these ethics commissions that at the state level I was able to uh, um, you know, navigate under because the state has the ethics commission, the city uh, has a loophole where they're out of it, that doesn't cost us anything. So that's gonna be a victory once we, we, we tackle that, and that shouldn't cost as much resources. And the other uh, thing I campaigned on that's very important is uh, community safety where we're talking about uh, police officers, we're talking about firefighters. These are popular, uh, um, common sense type stuff that regardless of your political ideology, you know, we want to live in a safe community. Uh, so that's the next, um, you know, really the next uh, line uh, on my agenda that I hope to, to tackle. And I think that, you know, it, that's going to be you got to get into the budget a little more, uh, make sure that our first responders have a seat at the table and we're doing it correctly. That's going to take, I think, a little more um, collaboration. But as far as getting stuff done, uh, as a mayor being uh, uh, you know, in our first term, uh, we have set very realistic goals. And I think that as long as we communicate the progress of those goals and don't catch anyone off guard, uh, we, we could be successful um, in, in if not achieving those goals in our first year, at least uh, taking the steps forward towards achieving those goals. Well, I want to thank you. I mean, your all's election in 2019 is one of the most exciting things I've seen in our country in a long time, and I cannot wait to follow uh, what you're up to. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcast. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep this honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.